the Mac Observer's Mac Geek at number 236 for Monday, January 18th, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to a daytime edition of the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I'm That's Dave Hamilton. But yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm Dave Hamilton coming to you from snowy Durham, New Hampshire today. And I'm John F. Braun here in Fairfield, Connecticut. And uh, all the snow washed away. We had some rain last night. We had some nice high winds. So that's always fun. Oh, yeah. That's a Blowing blast. Around all, yeah, the trash cans were all over the yard. And ah. the, the chairs on, the, on the, the porch were flipped over. All right. Uh, so we have... Uh, we have what, what I would consider a very normal show, except there's way more stuff than we'll uh, than we'll find time yeah, yeah. to get. Now to, today sure. is also Martin Luther King Day, at least in it the United is. States and maybe elsewhere, which is a weird holiday because you know I had uh, sort of a little emergency this morning. My ball rod assembly broke, and I, I wasn't sure if the store would be open. So I'm, I'm sorry to one. hear that. Yeah, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I think we all know what you're talking about, John. No, 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 no. No, it's the little thing that goes between in your sink, the plunger or whatever, or the drain in your sink, and the lever. Oh, yeah. And basically, you know, I shaved this morning, why the heck not, and, uh, you know, I went to hit the drain, and I hit it, and I'm like, Nothing wow, water's really not draining that quickly, and I move it a couple of more times, and I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, so, but anyways, Home Depot has it for like five bucks. So, so that was very nice. But, but, but I wasn't sure because today is weird because I think it's kind of a federal holiday. There's no mail. It is. Yeah. I don't think the stock market's open, but stores oh. are open. So, uh, right. yeah, go figure. Right. Anyway, so, so yeah, we got way, uh, yeah. What's, what's the summary, Dave? What, what are we going to talk about? Uh, you know, let's just go right into it. Let, let's not worry about the summary. Let's, uh, let's listen to Bill. Yes. Yeah, hey there, John and Dave. This is Bill in Texas. Uh, a proud and uh, satisfied uh, uh, customer of the new uh, premium edition of the Mac Geek Um And I have a question for you about uh, video encoding. Um, I know you guys have covered Handbrake and a lot of these programs in the past, but I have a specific um, uh, request about the way in which the encoding is done. Uh, I have a series of video files, um, uh, they're instructional videos, that I would like to speed up um, so that I can watch these videos on my iPhone or elsewhere without having to go into QuickTime and choose to speed them up manually each time. So basically what I want to do is take some video files and have them, say, set at a 1.5x or 2x speed and have the actual files themselves encoded at that speed. I hope I made some sense there. Um, In other words, if it was a one-hour-long video, I could essentially get the same information in in 40 minutes that I would have gotten in an hour by putting it at 1.5x. The only solution thus far I've come up with is to uh, do a screen capture with QuickTime, uh, but as you can imagine, that's um, laborious and uh, tedious and uh, you know, not really that good of a solution when I've got um, a couple hundred videos I've got to do. So um, I've looked around everywhere. If you guys have any idea, I'd really appreciate uh, some input. Um, maybe a decent geek challenge. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. I think there is a geek challenge portion of this because I'm not sure there's a way to make this happen 
automatically for the iPhone or iPod, right? When you're, if you're viewing it in a portable sense, however, on your Mac, I think we've got that nailed down, John, you, I think you, you, you found it. Although uh, the solution that Apple used to offer disappeared, right? So we have to, we have to look to third parties. Yeah. We'll bounce it back and forth here. So, um, uh, what I found is that play, uh, so I guess we got to discuss whether you really want to do this from an encoding standpoint, and and I'm not entirely clear if that's possible. At least with the ones I use, like FFmpeg, it may be buried in there somewhere. I've never used it for that purpose, but in both QuickTime Player Seven, now notice if you're running Snow Leopard, you will have a newer QuickTime Player. I guess it is a QuickTime Player Ten or something, uh, because I mentioned this, and you're like, John, that's not there, and I'm like, well, yeah, it is. QuickTime Seven Player, which if you have Snow Leopard. It should be in your utilities folder, and it'll say QuickTime Player 7. And in Window AV Controls Playback Speed, there is a little slider that will let you speed up things up to three times. Okay. So that's one option. And also VLC, which is a very nice open source player that plays um, when QuickTime Player kind of barfs on things, that's when I use VLC. That's a very nice open source player. And that has an option I, um, that just says speed things up where it's in one of the menus and you say faster. And I assume if you keep saying faster, it'll, it'll play things faster. So that's one option. Now you, you found something else, Dave. I, I did. I, you know, I didn't realize I, I have QuickTime uh, 10 in Snow Leopard and I do not have the QuickTime player buried in my utilities folder. Now I, I did think you not, cause I bought the pro. I wonder if you only buy the pro, if it does that for you when you do the installation or I did a, an upgrade installation. I wonder if that, because I did an upgrade installation, that's yeah. why um, I did it the upgrade for me. I huh. may not have. I had my. I had a pro license, but you know, I don't know that I never used any of the pro features on my MacBook Pro, which is the machine I tested on. So it's possible I'd only used them on a, a different machine that. Uh, so I didn't have pro. Uh, but yeah, I, I and I think VLC is the right option with which to do this. But I did find something else called multi-speed player and we'll link to that and it it definitely does what what it says it does in fact it's got a little slider so you can sort of adjust the speed in real time and uh, i i tested it out with uh one of don McAllister's very fine screencasts from screencast online mm-hmm. and uh it, you know it worked great i i just took the file started playing it and, and was able to to adjust the speed both, both faster and slower with this multi-speed player so um, which could could be pretty cool, you know, especially going through training videos like Don's or, or like the ones that Bill's talking about here, where you might want to, you know, burn through some of the content and then maybe even slow it down for something where you want to say, OK, wait a minute. What did he do there? You know, how did that work? And so that's uh, that's that. Moving on, John, mm-hmm. moving on to Don, not the same Don, but uh, Don says. I have installed Snow Leopard 10.6.2. Now when I try to change my screensaver or wallpaper in preferences, the window opens but closes only after about three and a half seconds. Three to five seconds, sorry. Doesn't really matter. Since this is already in the preferences, I'm at a loss as to where else to look. Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. And uh, I, we, we emailed... Got, we got the... Well, bill. we emailed John... Don... Uh, we also emailed John, but that's t- totally different. Uh, emailed Don and asked him if this happens in a test user account, too. I can't stress enough how important right. it is to set up a test user account. I mean, it's a pr- this is a perfect example of when to use that to troubleshoot. You've got some funky behavior. You can't figure out what's going on. 
the first thing you do is go into that test user account and try exactly the same thing. If it happens in the test user account, you know that it's not your user preferences. If it doesn't happen in the test user account, then you, you know almost certainly that it's either in your user preferences or some app that you have running that's, you know, mucking things about. So he said uh, he tried setting a guest account up and the problem did not occur. Uh, so there is something unique to his user account. And John, I think you uh, you found a couple of things and, and then I found a couple, too. Yeah. So one place to look um, and I've seen this happen before. So um, what happens in OS 10 is when you go to the prep pane for, uh, you know, the screensavers. After a few moments, what it does is it tries to do a little baby version of it, trying to show you what, what to expect when you in, engage that screensaver. Yep. I have seen this in either buggy or poorly written screensavers. They can take the machine down when it's trying to do a useful thing and show you what screensavers, uh, what it's going to look like if you enable it for the full screen. It does it in a very you know smaller version of it. So what you want to do, because probably you won't have time to get in there and delete or get rid of the one that's causing problems before right. it crashes. Right. Here's the place to go. Um, two places, actually, uh, slash library slash screensavers or your home directory slash library slash screensavers. And there will be screensavers in there. Um, get rid of those, you know, back them up and then maybe whack them one by one until the problem goes away. And I bet you you're going to um, find one that is causing problems, whether whether Apple provided or if especially a third party one. I've seen it with third party ones. I think the Apple ones are pretty safe, though. Maybe one of them got corrupted. So mm. that's the approach that I would take. Yeah. So it, that's right. You're only going to see the third party ones in those two folders. Right, John? I believe that's correct. In fact, I know that's correct because they're empty on my machines and I definitely have Apple screensavers. So, ah, okay. Uh, OK, so, uh, yeah, the other things that I would do is look in in your home folder. Again, we've narrowed it down that it's not a system wide thing. So look in your home folder, go into library, go into preferences now. And then in there that you should find a holder folder called by host uh, in that folder, you will find a file called com.apple.screensaver.com and then some gobbledygook. Uh, find that file and delete it. Now, this is with the preference pane closed, but of course, in your case, it already is. Uh, that's one file, and then I would relaunch it and see what happens. That doesn't work. The other file to try is in home library preferences, but not in the by host folder, just in preferences. Check out com.apple.preference dot desktop screen effect dot p list. Uh, those are the ones that are modified by that preference pane. And and I got there, you know, we're talking about troubleshooting with the test user account, John. The way I sussed out these two files was I opened up my preferences folder and I sorted it by the uh, the date stamp. Right. So I put the most recent thing at the top and then I opened that pref pane and I started changing things and I watched what happened and and that's how I figured out to go into the by host folder and look for that screensaver dot file and and also found the desktop screen effect dot plist file. So mm -hmm. uh, just a you know simple troubleshooting. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Yep. So cool. And I'm looking. Yeah, I just looked and I have like two screensavers in my. Um, now that leads me to wonder where the heck are the Apple ones? They got to be hidden somewhere. I think they're in slash system slash library. Uh, because that's typically where Apple stores their things. And, and so really, it, it, in all but the rarest cases, when you're troubleshooting, you're not going to be digging into the system folder. You're going to be, you know, usually in home library, 
maybe sometimes in the root slash library, but very rarely in system slash library. And you are right. Yes, I see them all in here. Beach, forest, nature patterns. Okay, that's in system library screensaver. Yeah, so, so there's three places to look. But I would agree with you that the Apple ones are probably not causing an issue, though they may. Who knows? Yeah, they may. And okay, so here's here's one other thing to consider. Uh, if you do think that there's something in that system folder, you know, causing the issue, and you think for this example, let's say it's a screensaver. So you go into system library screensavers again. Let's sort by the date stamp. And look to see if there was one that was modified recently, because, you know, we can assume that those which came unmodified with the, uh, you know, with the operating system are going to behave as expected. Right. So, you know, the first thing to check would be something that was modified recently. Uh, and if there's you know something that stands out there, uh, blow that away and then and then try it again. And if and if that's the case, then you're probably heading down the path of a maintenance reinstall of your OS on top of itself, or at least a combo update, you know, then and, and perhaps that'll that'll solve it. Okay. That's good stuff. I oh, mean, I I got to start listening to this podcast. I can learn a thing or two. <laughs> uh, our first sponsor for today is Circus Ponies at CircusPonies.com with their flagship product called Notebook. And what Notebook does is it allows you to take all the things that you have all the emails, all the pictures, all the PDFs, even the stuff that you've scanned in that relates to a given project or, you know, a, a given task or maybe a class that you have and organize it all together in a way that you start with a, a text based notebook where you're you're just typing and you're you're keeping notes. But you can suck in all these other things as uh, as collateral data and, and as supporting data for this 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 notebook that you're uh, that you're organizing there keeps it all in one place. You can have multiple notebooks for different subjects or different topics, however you want to organize it. And the cool thing is you can search amongst all of them. So you can uh, if you know if you know, well, gosh, I remember, you know, I, I, I if let's say you keep notebooks for separate projects at work and you think, gosh, you know, I know last January uh, I ran into a website about uh, kittens for one of the projects at work, but I can't remember which because, you know, we do so many projects with kittens. So then uh, you go into the search and you search for uh, for kittens and, and, and maybe restrict your date range to last January and you search across all your notebooks using their multi decks and boom, up it comes and it'll you'll find your data. So this is all available at circusponies.com. The price is $49.95 US, but of course... You can download a 30-day free trial first, test it out, and then go back and make your purchase once you're, uh, once you're a happy little customer. So, circusponies.com with Notebook version 3.0. And we move on to Jim. This is an interesting one, John. Hey, guys. This is Brett from Appleton again. Oh, I don't know why uh -oh. I feel compelled to respond. Oh, no. Don't tell me I confused these things again. Hang on, folks. Let's try that again. I'm not sure how these audio files on our end get mixed up, folks. It's 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 a mystery. All right, we're back. Uh, and I think that the stuttering's gone and all that. But but I think John and I have stumbled onto what's going on here. Uh, and this issue of confused audio files, which many of you have never seen before, because we usually are able to stem it off during our pre-show. Uh, is that, you know, we build these files as one, essentially one real text file, one real, uh, you know, RTFT uh, uh, document. 
and we're inserting audio files into that. But recently we began having this issue where we go to play one comment and it's another. And as John, you just pointed out what also happened relatively recently was. Well, we asked the users to submit questions using uh, the recording utility on their iPhone or their iPod touch. And I think what's happening and I've just seen these in passing when, when they come in from the users with the audio file attached it has a name, something along the lines, I think like memo one or memo two or something which may not be unique. So I'm, I'm suspecting is that we may be getting a collision and that we may have more than one file, same name somehow in the workflow is picking the wrong one. Yes. Cause I think that's the default scheme. So, um, it's interesting. I don't know if there's a way to change the name of the audio attachment or if it just picks the next one in line or what. I'll have to be aware of that as they're coming in because no, there's not a way. I mean, it, you know, your iPhone creates the, the file and then you send it to us and you certainly as the, as a listener, you have no way of editing the name that of the file that the iPhone is choosing to attach. So, so we'll just, I'll have to be aware of that on, on the inside here, John. And we'll or see. Is there, there, maybe there is. Yeah, maybe good. a mini geek challenge. There may be a way somewhere, but yeah, I think Probably it just involves picks them sequ- to me. It appears that it's just picking them sequentially. Yeah, I bet that's right. All right. Let's see. Uh, let's see if we've got Jim lined up and if it's going to work. Hey, John and Dave, this is Jim from Marion, Iowa. Yes. I have a question for you guys. I'm in the owner of a 24 inch iMac. Just got it back in May and it happens to be up in my bedroom. And at night, I'd like to be able to turn the screen off so I can uh, sleep. And what I've been doing is I tried, first tried to create a hot corner for it to turn the screen off, but because of some background processes and some backups, a lot of times the screen will turn on all by itself in the middle of the night. So I've gotten into the habit of just putting it to sleep. Don't normally like to do that. I just like to keep it on because I've got some network attached storage. But um, I've been putting it to sleep. And lately, under Snow Leopard, um, when I try to take it out of sleep, it appears to not wake up. Um, I'm not convinced that it's not woke up. Uh, the screen doesn't come back on. And the only thing that I'm forced to do is hold the power button down and do a hard shutdown, which I hate to do every time I do it, and then reboot. I've checked the system console. I don't see anything that's out of the ordinary that would say something is locked up. I'm just wondering if you guys could help me out. Um, I have a perception with my wife that um, I am a true Mac expert guru, and uh, up to this point, I've been able to prove her correct, so I'm hoping to keep that illusion alive by you guys giving me some help. So, any help you can give me for what might be causing my iMac screen not to turn on would be great, and uh, this is where you cut me off. All right. I think we're going to have to make this answer conditional on maybe getting a nice dinner. Um, <laughs> hey, he, has, he just has to hope his wife doesn't uh, secretly listen to the show because she'll recognize his voice and then, and then the gig yeah. is up. Right? So either he or the wife up, or both of them are going to have to cook us up a nice meal so, <laughs> so he can maintain the illusion here. We'll just, but anyways, um, he, you know, I'll make an initial comment is, and this is why I still like, for one, uh, why mechanical hard drives are still nice. If you think the machine is asleep, it may be that the screen, for whatever stupid reason, is not waking up. When you, you know, nudge the machine and try to wake it up, you may have to get your ear real close to wherever the hard drive is in this machine, but see if you hear a hard drive spinning up. If you don't, then I think the machine is wedged or dead and it's never going to wake up. So, so, so to me, that's just one suggestion right. in case... Uh, and and I have another one, but maybe we'll we'll alternate here because you have a very good one, Dave. And then 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 I'll I'll give you another one. Well, yeah, the the, the thing that I had 
thought about was more related to seeing if yeah getting in touch with the machine. But I, let, let's try and answer his first question, which is: Is there a way to get the screen to stay off, uh, even though the brightness, uh, you, you know, even though the the machine's on, right? Because that's what he really wants to do. And then we can talk about how to how to right. you know check out a, a machine. And you know, I think the thing that's waking the screen up maybe his mouse. Um, I know I've had issues with that in the past where it's not background processes that, that turn my screen on. If I've got the computer forced to stay awake, uh, you know, an energy saver, I just tell it not to sleep, but I set a hot corner for the, for the screen to go to sleep. Uh, I've seen this in hotel rooms and, and here's the interesting part. Cause I do this in hotel rooms. Sometimes I want to leave my computer on, but I want the brightness, you know, off now on my, uh, you know, on my on my laptop, I can actually kill the brightness down all the way if I use the keys on the keyboard. And that's what I've started doing now, because in the middle of the night, uh, if I was using an external mouse, which I often bring to a hotel room nowadays, I bring the uh, magic mouse, but I used to bring a corded mouse uh, there. Anything that nudges that mouse even a little bit will wake that screen up. So. Uh, I'm not sure what you could do about this short of unplugging the mouse at night, at, you know, try and get it to the point and then unplug it. I don't know. You know, I don't know if that's going to work. Okay. Right. You no, know, I think we, 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 we touched on this before and I believe there is an Apple knowledge base article. I will, I will when creating the show notes search for it, but I think okay. Apple has a guide as to if your machine doesn't sleep when you expect it to hear the possible. Well, we're not problems. talking about sleep though. He doesn't want it to sleep. He just wants the screen to stay off. Or the screen staying off. Yeah, very. Right. Which is different, right, from sleeping. But but right. you know, and maybe there is a knowledge base article about that too, because I I can't imagine that Jim and I are the only ones that have have run into that as a as a downside, right? Uh, but yeah, okay. So now uh, we get to the the issue at hand. The machine's asleep. Jim tries to wake it up, and it tries to wake up or it starts waking up, or maybe it doesn't. And it but it's wedged, right? And the only way he can turn it off is to hold the power button in. For 10 seconds, kill the, the machine and then bring it back up. Uh, and of course, that's a very bad thing to have to do. Uh, it doesn't bode well for your hard drive. No, that's uh, the Hail Mary. That's, that's when nothing else works. And I think that's a common thing on both Macs and at least that, the PCs that I use is you hold down the power button for a certain amount of time and the machine dies. Shuts and off. And it starts yeah. up and it'll usually, depending on the OS on the machine, it'll maybe say something to you like, why did you do this to me? And the, the, there's a serious problem, perhaps. At least Windows does. It says, you know, the machine shut down for a bad reason. Right. That's right. All right. Uh, but in, yeah, and, and to extend the analogy, I would actually call it a punt. It'd be, it's beyond the Hail Mary, right? You've already <laughs> tried the Hail Mary. Now you've punted, right? So, but anyway. Yep. Uh, my Whenever this happens to me, whether it be locked up and I can't tell, you know, what state it's in or if it's locked up and the screen's on, but I just can't get it to do anything. I either go to another one of my Macs or to my iPhone and I S or I attempt to SSH in to the terminal on that computer. Now, uh, to do this, you first on on whatever computer you're going to want to do this to, uh, you're going to have to go into sharing in the system preferences and turn on allow remote login. Uh, That's SSH and that's going to let you do this. Then uh, then you can try an SSH in uh, and by SSH, what I mean is create a terminal session that's secure. Um, 
and it's a SSH is a industry standard protocol for doing this and the Mac obviously supports it. So what you would do is, uh, you know, if you're, let's say your machine's locked up and you've, you've got SSH turned on, you would go to another machine you'd open up the terminal and you would type the following SSH space. And then the IP address of the machine to which you're trying to connect. Assuming your username is the, is the same on both. And we're talking about the short username. If it is, and the machine responds, it's going to come back. The first time you connect, it might say, uh, you've never connected to this machine before. Do you want to save its security certificate? You can say yes. Uh, And then after that's over, it asks you for a password. If, though, you have a different short username. And it doesn't matter if it's the one that's logged in or not. You just need one that is, you know, installed on the computer. It doesn't even need to be a logged in user on the Mac. It just needs to be an account on the Mac. But if you don't, if it's a different username than the one you're logged into on the Mac that you're trying to get to it from SSH space dash L space username space IP address. And then the same thing will happen at that point. uh, If you're comfortable in the terminal, you can certainly muck around and try to do whatever it is you're going to try and do. But uh, but really, all you want to do is tell it to restart. And the best way to do that is to type sudo sudo because you're going to need to be a root user sudo space shutdown space dash r space now and essentially what you're saying is as root run the shutdown command tell it to restart that's the dash r and do so now Uh, and i would say 90 percent of the time that my machine appears locked up i am able to ssh in and do this it's not perfect it still force quits all your apps but the operating yeah. system is is properly restarted in it, it, at, a, at about a 90 percent level. And that's a that's a good thing. So and, and then to, to finish the uh, to finish the path on my iPhone, if I don't have another Mac handy, but I do have my iPhone handy, uh, I have an app on the phone called Touch Term, T-O-U-C-H-T-E-R-M. That allows me to SSH in and do the same thing. It's a little bit kooky because it's on an iPhone, but uh, but it works. You have something to add there, John? You know, I'm looking here, and uh, it looks like Telnet's really not an option anymore. I'm no, sure. Telnet's too too insecure to be. Uh, well, it's no, it's it's yeah. There is no security. SSH exactly. does the whole certificate and the key, whatever. But anyways, it looks like no. I just tried. Apparently, it it's not an option. I suppose you could put it. But anyways, yes, you make a very good point. And shutdown is. Probably one step away from holding down the power button because, yeah, it's brutal. I mean, it just shuts yeah. everything down and it doesn't really do it in a nice, elegant fashion, but at least it shuts well, the machine down. Well, it shuts the OS down in a very elegant fashion. It just doesn't shut your apps down in an elegant fashion. All right, your right, apps right. get all your apps get force quit. But the OS itself and the, you know, the, the hard drives, buffers and all that stuff are saved out, you know, in a in a very, you know, acceptable way. So, yes, agreed. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, moving along to Dustin. Dustin. Yeah. All right. I have a question, kind of a problem with uh, interesting problem with networking. I was I have a oh, 2008, I think 2007, 2008 uh, Mac Mini uh, has two two gig of RAM in it. Anyway, it's been working fine. It's running Leopard 10 point. Five, whatever the latest Leopard update is. Um, the problem I'm having is with the network. 
I was running a couple applications yesterday, one uh, web-based application, and then I opened up a Java-based application, well, two, I take it back, two Java-based applications. And after, when I opened the second one up, they were a, a trading platform application, uh, stock trading platform applications. And when I opened the second one up, my network stopped working. In other words, connection to the internet stopped working. Um, not, exa not exactly uh, what I had thought and do my troubleshooting, restarted the computer, um, went back in and to just go to the web browser and nothing was working. Uh, couldn't connect to the internet. Here's where the fun part is, here's where the catch is. I have also a uh, early 2009 or mid 2009 uh, Mac Mini, or not Mac Mini, uh, MacBook, uh, the 13 inch MacBook Pro. Um, just on the same network, I can see the server, I can see the Mac Mini, I mean, from the MacBook Pro and vice versa. I can do screen sharing back and forth. I can share files. Everything goes back and forth. In fact, from my Mac Mini, I can see the NAS drive, I can see even the Windows 7 machine, I can see everything on my local network. However, I cannot get out to the internet via anything that uses pretty much HTTP or uses the internet connection. The second gotcha is I can ping it. I open up terminal and I can ping the internet. Google returns, anything returns then. Also on my Mac Mini I have VMware Fusion and a simple uh, Ubuntu client running. It can ping the internet. I have a bridge, it has a bridged um, virtual network card. I can ping the internet through that uh, VMware client. The funny part is, is I also have on this VMware client running on the Mac Mini, I have just a little uh, proxy server. If I take and I point um, WebOS through the proxy settings, through the network, to that proxy server, I can get out to the internet. So what I've deduced is that all the hardware works, the network card works, um, getting out to the internet works if I go through the proxy server on this client on the VMware host, all running on the same machine. However, if I'm just standalone, the applications, browser, um, I have a couple other ones, Orb, I have um, Xmark Sync, the go out and sync bookmarks for um, Safari. Um, none of those applications go out to the internet. It's almost like one of the high-level pieces of the uh, the network stack um, is broken. I don't know how to take and reset the network stack in OS 10. Unfortunately, I am uh, new, as in uh, eight or nine months new to um, OS 10. Um, please, uh, please let me know. Uh, any thoughts, any suggestions, I'd appreciate it. And um, this is where you cut me off. All right. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, so so let's 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 boil this let's down review. to what the problem is. That's right. Okay, so as I see it, and correct me if I'm wrong, John. Uh, he's got an active network connection, and his router uh, appears to be working just fine, at least in terms of passing, you know, low-level data back and forth out to the internet, and in fact, even high-level data because he's able to do so with his Ubuntu. Uh, 
you know, VMware thing there, right? So so we're going to assume the router's okay and the problem is on his machine. But it at first I thought, well, maybe it's just a Safari issue. But then he said, no, mm-hmm. all these other apps won't talk out either. Uh, so, okay. So he, I, I think his... I think his nutshell is right in that it's some high level issue and not necessarily a a, a very low level, but it might be somewhere in the middle too. Uh, well, so go ahead. I, uh, from what I heard, yeah. So there were a bunch of pieces, and I'm still trying to sort them out. But it sounded to me like everything works just great if the machines are all talking to one another on the local network. Well. But he's well, not that's doing what he said. He's he, well, no, he said uh, the machines on the local network can see each other and, and, and communicate. So I, I just want to make that observation. Different protocols, though. He's not doing HTTP. He's okay. not right. I mean, he, you know, to be fair, he's doing. Yeah, but AFP, IP, right. IP works. Well, let's say IP on his local network appears to be working properly using. Yes. Uh, different protocols. But to me, that uh, I, I gathered that much. And IP works getting out to the Internet, right? Because he's able to ping Google servers, able to ping Apple server and data comes back. Well, not quite. Well, parts of it are working, I think. The ping works. The thing is, I was leaning towards a potential DNS issue, but ping typically, unless you ping the IP address of Google, which I don't know that off the top of my head, if you can ping www.google.com or apple.com, then your DNS is working at some level. It it sounded to me almost until he said more that it was a DNS issue. So maybe that's one place to to look to see what DNS values you're getting. Yeah. Or it could be, I don't know if he's using a third party DNS service or a mix or what's happening there. So it, it, until he said more, I thought it, it, and it still may be a DNS issue because being able to ping, but not get to something could be, it could be. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to lean away from that, but I, I just thought I'd mention, yep. mention it. Yep. What else? Okay, think? so uh, what I would do is on one of my other Macs, I would go into uh, system preferences sharing and I would turn on web sharing, right? And then I would go to the Mac Mini and I would attempt to connect to that Mac via its IP address. So let's rule out DNS. Let's just see if we can get an HTTP connection to something on the local network first my guess is based on everything else he said that this will not work um and uh assuming it doesn't then what it means is we have uh, some issue with getting uh higher level higher than a ping uh so tcp packets to to talk across the uh you know to talk talk uh, across the network if that's the case, the answer is, I don't know. Uh, uh, and I really do don't No, I, well, I have some ideas. I, you know, my, my guess is that there's something, there's a maximum number of connections. He's got a lot of stuff running on this machine, right? I mean, tons of stuff running on this machine. There is a maximum number of TCP connections and maximum number of ports that are allowed in and out. Uh, he's also got or sockets. You know, I would say sockets. Thank you. Thank you. Not thank so much you. ports. No, you're right. Yeah, right. I want to be different because you can have just just to to toss the lingo around. You can have multiple sockets on the same port, and that's almost a given. So, sure. Uh, for example, a web browser is, for the most part, talking on port eighty or right. four forty three, and that's the port. But you could have hundreds. I don't know if it's a hundred. You could, yeah. I mean, when you're loading a web page with all sorts of little bits and bytes and pictures and stuff like, yeah, you could you could easily. I agree with you. You could easily have at some point in time a hundred 
sockets open. Yeah. And, and I think as you're, you're suggesting, to, uh, somewhere in the network, somebody may be limiting that, or maybe they're not closing properly. I've, I've seen that happen sometimes. Yep. And that could be your ISP. Uh, maybe. It's or usually it could be your network stack. Yeah. I, I think I know where we're, we're going with the final solution here. Well, I have a couple of final solutions. I don't I, I don't know. So that's that's one of them. Uh, the other, and and if that's the case, um, there are some ways to set uh, to set that stuff. You know, I'm trying to remember if in OS 10 oh, we don't have we don't have about with the IP stack. That, yeah, it's using uh, using syscontrol, right? S Y S C T L, and there are some parameters you can do to to set you know max connections right. or max sockets to be higher. Uh, so that's one thing. The other is when you create a network connection. Uh, let's say you connect to Google, right? Uh, for any website, doesn't matter. Could be MacObserver.com. I hear they I hear they do good stuff over there. But what Thank happens you. is your browser opens up connection, as you said, John, to port eighty, right? And it it talks to it, it goes to the Mac Observer. It goes to www.macobserver.com and attaches to that server on port eighty. But it also and then it sends a request and it says, "Here's my request. I want to get this web page." And we're not going to talk about the mechanics of the request, except to say that it also says and give me my return on this port and and it's going to be a random port right because that computer then needs to talk to yours but it's not going to talk on port 80 because it's not going to talk to your web server it wants to talk to your browser and so your browser is going to say return to me on a random port that's very high you know let's say it's a 57 123 right and so you send this request on port 80 and that computer says, ah, OK, great. I've got some data for you. And it just pushes it back to you on 57.123. It assumes that your browser is going to go ahead and listen on that port uh, because you told it to essentially in the request. If your browser listens on that port, it'll get some data back. It'll say, aha, I am happy. And through it comes. Now, if something gets in the way of your browser listening on that port, you will get nothing right. back. And this is true, not just of browsing, but of email, of any of these other things that uh, that we talked about here, any TCP stuff. This is how it works. Uh, so my thought is, you know, with all this other stuff that he has running on his machine, it's possible something has grabbed this port range and hasn't really, you know, made it clear that it has claimed it. So, you know, there's some range of ports that you've got some service running that's going to, you know, interfere with that but it doesn't work here's the other thing when and, and this gets into some network magic that i really didn't intend to get into but this is this is good stuff here uh cool. when, when you've got a router right uh it, it, airport router uh you know a linksys router a d-link router a netgear router it doesn't matter all the routers that we have in our homes typically do one thing in common and that is they get a single ip address from your internet provider, be it cable, DSL, what have you, and then share that address magically uh, amongst all the computers in your network. Now, how does well, that? Well, it's not magic. No, it's, it's not magic. Translation. It's network address translation. And, and let's talk about that magic, John, right? Because mm -hmm. the way it works is back to our example. Safari requests a page from Mac Observer. We connect to Mac Observer on port 80. Now, we don't correct our computer doesn't connect directly to Mac Observer. It connects through the router. So the router says, ah, yes. OK, I'll let your request out. It passes a series of rules that we allow. Great. We'll let you talk to MacObserver.com. And then your computer, the router also sees in that request that your computer says and 
uh, HeyMacObserver.com returned to me on port 57123. So the router makes note of this and it says, ah, yes, make note. Anything that comes in on port 57123 goes back to that computer, right? So what MacObserver.com sees is it doesn't see your computer talking to it. It sees your router talking to it, right? And it says, ah, yes, router, sure. And you want this back on 57123? No problem. It passes it to you. The router says, oh, I got some data on 57123. Let's take a look at our list. Ah, that goes to that computer and it passes it along. This is how this works. This is why you could have four different computers on your network or 400, depending on the capabilities of your router, all accessing the same website and getting unique data. Mm -hmm. So that's the magic behind this, this address sharing. You didn't know you were going to get that here. I didn't know you were going to get that here, uh, but you got it. Uh, that, that, in a nutshell, that's the magic. Here's the thing. If your router is malfunctioning, that ain't going to work. Or mm -hmm. if your router thinks that that data needs to go somewhere else, it's not going to work. Or if your router is overloaded, it, you know, it can only keep track of so many of these requests. Now, uh, I know in my Linksys router, uh, you know what, let me look. I think right now I have it set to 4,096 maximum uh, connections. By default, I don't know what the default is uh, in my firmware. It is 4096. You know, the default might be 200, 300. I don't know. It, de it depends on the router. We don't know what kind of router uh, Dustin has. So that's it's also possible that there's something out there talking so much on the network and opening up so many of these return ports that by the time, even though it's a very short amount of time, uh, by the time Dustin's request comes back, it's gone. I don't know. But, that you know, the, the router could be at issue here. Could be well, cycle power on the router. You know, one way to solve all problems is just turn it off and turn it on again. Or connect your computer directly to the Internet and see if it still works or see if it still misbehaves. Rather, OK, I wouldn't recommend that long term, but yeah, I'm mm. that, that. yeah, it's a troubleshooting thing. Yeah. Um, and, and lastly is if you go to the command line or actually network utility also has this Netstat is your friend. If you want to see how many connections are open with the big wide world, Netstat tells all. Yep. Uh, now it's it's kind of yeah. I mean, you look at it. It's a, it's not a very user friendly way of listing things, but it is the utility that will list all of the connections uh, between you and and other things. Uh, so maybe you can, you know, spot something there. Yeah, yeah. That that's all we got, Dustin. It sounds like you are well versed in the at least the concept of networking, even if you you don't know all the intricacies on OS ten. So yeah, I think Netstat would be. It's an interesting little, it gives you some, some interesting output and may point you to what's going on. So, and the last suggestion, Oh, all right. If you just want to throw in the towel and just say, you know what? I want to reset the interface. Um, you go into system preferences network, select the interface. I believe what you do is you click on the little minus guy. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah. If you totally want to, I don't know if it totally cleanses or scrubs the system of all, that has to do with the network stack for that interface, but but I think it's probably pretty close. So, and then you'll have to probably add it back again. I don't know if it automatically, automatically uh, comes back. So yeah, click on the interface, click on the little minus sign towards the bottom of the network window. That will delete that network service, and then you can add it back again. And maybe that'll clear it up. You, you could, I think, as he was suspecting, something may be corrupted in the IP stack, and I think that's probably one way to, to get at it, or at least the official Apple way of getting at it through the... Uh, uh, network control panel. Uh, system preference. I'm never going to stop that. <laughs> no, if we haven't stopped saying control panel by now, we're never going to stop. But we won't. It's burned into our brains. It is burned into our brains.
But we could. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with it. Anyway, our second sponsor for this show is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. They make all kinds of cool audio products, but the really the one I love to talk about the most is their A2 desktop speakers. Now, these are self-powered speakers, meaning they need their own power. So you plug them into the wall and you also plug them into your Mac. It's two separate speakers. Uh, each speaker has a tweeter and a woofer in it, uh, meaning a high end speaker and a low end speaker inside the enclosure. They're connected with a cable. Uh, you can separate them out uh, pretty far. And the sound that you get from these things, they're small. They're, you know, they're, uh, I don't know, they're, you know, maybe four inches high, three inches wide, and maybe three inches deep. But man, do these things pack. It's more than a punch. It's a full sound. It's, it, it is clear and, and punchy, but it's also got some, some decent low end, uh, a whole lot more than I would expect out of speakers of this size. These speakers, as well as the A5s from Audio Engine, are geared to be used with compressed music, meaning MP3 compression. So, you know, digital compression changes the, the shape of the sound, even when it's uncompressed and then played back or de-encoded, I should say, and played back. Uh, these speakers are built with that in mind. And, and there, there's some EQ uh, differences in, in regular music and MP3 music that these speakers help to smooth out. Uh, they really have a full sound. They fill up our at home. We've got them in our study or whatever we call this room. That's sort of off of our kitchen where we have all the computers and it fills that room in the kitchen just fine. We use uh, we've got them on the iMac and we listen to music while we're cooking or even while we're eating. And it just sounds great. So these are the A2 desktop speakers from AudioEngineUSA.com. They're one ninety nine. Uh, but. With the coupon code MGGTEN, you can save 10%, which gets them down to about 180 bucks for you. Uh, they do have a what they call a free audition. So like a lot of the software we talk about here, they too come with a 30-day uh, evaluation process. And if you get them and don't like them, send them back and they'll send you all of your money back. AudioEngineUSA.com and their A2 speakers. And I think it's time to head into the follow-ups awesome. for some one of our previous yes. shows. I love their speakers. Now, I thought you were oh, going to yeah. say big size, uh, or small size, big sound, and I'm glad you didn't because that's... Uh, no, but they are. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and then the A5s. I mean, you and I both have the A5s. I mean, those yeah. are the ones that totally rock the house. So, But yeah. these are great for the, for the small size. Yeah. Well, all, right, all right. Where here we go. What do we get yeah. to here? Two, 234. You guys were talking about the... the um, install disk that comes with your original machine that you're saying, eh, uh, for cleaning out clutter, sure, go ahead, toss them. But no, hello, um, hardware test, does that sound kind of familiar? Because um, what's the first thing that Apple usually calls when you have a hardware um, problem? If you call Apple, what do they say? Run Apple hardware test. And that is located on the original install disks. So please don't toss them. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, good point. Uh, the 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 original disk that you get with your Mac uh, has this Apple di hardware diagnostics. Now, uh, it, how do I launch that, Dave? Uh, 
I believe you hold down the D key when booting or when with that CD in the drive when restarting your computer. For diagnostic. Now, I thought, I could be mistaken, I think I am mistaken, but I thought some Macs without a disc would have a partition where if you held down D, it would run the... Uh, I almost thought that was that, the case with that, my machine. That may be true on the MacBook Air. Uh, some of the newer Macs, I think that it... But, but yeah, so, so that's one very good reason... Absolutely. Yeah, look on look on the so look on the label on the on the DVD. It'll say right yeah. on there if it's got the uh, if it's got the hardware test in it. Now, I, and there were many of you that wrote in about this. You know, we were talking about whether or not to keep your original install discs if you've upgraded your OS. That was the question in a previous show in show number two thirty four. Somebody said, "Look, my machine came with ten point five. Now I've got ten point six. Do I need these ten five discs?" And we said, "Well, no, you don't." And uh and that that's not entirely true, uh, given this and also given what I consider even more important, that a lot of times the discs that you get with your Mac aren't just the uh, the OS, but they're also a bunch of the apps that came with it. You know, sometimes you get it bundled on those discs, iLife and, and things like that. Now, you may now have a newer version of all of those things with Snow right. Leopard if you've bought, you know, the latest rev to iLife. So it may still be useless other than the hardware test. And, you know, John, I'm going to go out on a, a limb here, but it's a it's a what I consider a stone limb because it's one that will not break. Uh, and that's that the hardware test sucks and it's totally worthless because every time what? I've every time I've had a com- an issue with my computer that I know to be hardware, I've run the hardware test like a dutiful little Apple soldier. Oh, yeah, we'll run through it. We'll do the full memory test, and it comes back, and it says, hey, everything's okay. You're fine. And then I go to the command line, and I run something simple like memtest, which is a you know Unix RAM testing utility, and it'll tell me, right. uh, nope, you got bad RAM, buddy. And sure enough, it's right. I replace the stick and everything's good. And I've seen this countless times, not just with my machines, but with, uh, okay. with clients' machines back in the day. So I, I, I consider Apple's hardware test utterly useless. Uh, I think at some point it was a good thing, uh, or at least maybe we thought it was because we hadn't had enough, you know, useless yeah, yeah. experiences with it. So that's. that's I think I've feeling. had it once identify a memory issue, only doing the extended you know, beat yep. up on the memory for like half an hour yeah, or 20 minutes or whatever test. The only other thing I could think of is that there may be one other compelling reason to keep the old disks. And I think we mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. Mm-hmm. When you're installing the disks that your computer came with, you are absolutely guaranteed to get drivers that work with all of the hardware of that machine. A newer OS should have updated oh, yeah. drivers that work, but there's an off chance. Maybe it's, a buggy version, or as we talked with printers, and that the vendor may decide not to support it right. as, as, as well as they did in the past. So if you're having hardware problems running the OS that was not installed on the machine itself, it's kind of drastic. Um, you know, I'd probably install it on a different hard drive. You know, I wouldn't wipe Snow Leopard and then install the original disks. Right, um, right. <laughs> that, that'd be very painful. But if you have another hard drive, or an external hard drive even, um, you know, use the, the, the discs. Um, and if the hardware problem is present with the older install, but then the newer install, then, Hey, maybe yeah. the latest OS or something doesn't have the drivers that are quite suited to the hardware that is in your machine. So, um, 
So I think we, we're. Uh, I, I would I would agree a with that. Pro on what we said. I I would agree. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, and thank you for keeping us honest. I, I would agree with that in terms of the third party drivers that ship with Apple stuff. As far as built in things, I don't think I've ever. I can't yeah. recall a time when when we've said, "Oh gosh, you know, you're running Snow Leopard or you're running." 10.4 and you need to run the trackpad driver from 10.3 because that's better I, that I don't think we've ever seen I think Apple's been pretty good with that but as far as the third party stuff yeah you know they, they bundle a lot of printer drivers and that sort of thing but uh, you know as we've seen sometimes those don't work all that well yep okay cool. good stuff and then to to round things out here I think uh, Scott Scott yeah as a as a follow-up and, and Scott leads it in very nicely he says Some number of episodes back, you touched on something that has furrowed my brow from time to time. Install and that is installing apps in user accounts versus at the system level. You had me on the edge of my car seat. I don't think he means his car seat. I hope not. (laughs) No. During that episode, uh, as long as, as I thought I was going to finally hear the magic. This is how it's done. Alas, no. Consider the following context, if you will. I was hopeful you could come back to this this subject. It is often recommended that a separate, pristine user account be created for the purposes of troubleshooting weirdness. I've assumed that key to keeping such an account pristine is not to install any third-party apps, but keep it just as it was when the system was brand spanking new. This raises the question, how does one ensure, force, or otherwise cause applications to be installed at the user account level instead of system that, among other things, would keep the safe haven of the pristine account just that, pristine? Your thoughts and further discussion on future episodes would be greatly appreciated by me and I'm sure your broader listening audience. All right. Thank you, Scott. You're right, because there's a bit of confusion here, John. Well, you made a good distinction because, yeah, I I lumped it into one category here as far as uh, or in some of the my my thinking. But uh, I'll let you go on there. There's two major parts of the OS where you can have both global what I'll call global apps that are available or, or global things that are available to all users and then private or user level things that are only available to the user that's logged in normally. And, uh, and you'll expand on that. I will. Okay. So let's talk about applications first, because that's what Scott brings up. And as far as my philosophy and my practice is when installing applications, and it's, it's important to note applications, I'll install those, those into the system wide applications folder. And the reason is typically that's all that gets installed is the application, uh, And nothing on a system-wide level gets installed beyond that. Then when I run the application uh, in, you know, I'm logged in as my user or whatever, whatever user I'm logged in as. Typically, then once you run an application, then it creates an application support folder that's inside your home folder, usually home, library, application support, and then the application name. Uh, That's where the user data for that application is installed. Nothing else happens with an application in the applications folder and by default apps aren't typically run at startup or anything. So if you were to log in as a pristine user, even if you'd added 50 applications to the applications folder, in my eyes, that test user is still pristine because those apps haven't touched that account yet. So that's, that's part one. Part two is. All right. Well, let me, uh, I want to make an observation though. And this is kind of weird because I just looked into this. So you have two application folders normally. Correct. One, as you pointed out, is the system level. But I'm looking at both my machines, Dave. And if I go to my user directory, John Braun, not surprisingly, and go into the applications folder, there's nothing there. Right. Because you have both my G5 
And uh, yeah, so I guess I've never made the choice to install it. But the thing is, on both machines, uh, so I think normally they're all going to be in the system level thing, unless you you specify otherwise. Even the one in the places folder, when you click on applications in your places folder, right? It's looking at the slash applications folder, not at the home slash user slash. So I'm I'm trying to. That's right. Yeah. I, I don't know why I don't have anything in those unless, yeah, I guess as you pointed out, maybe I've never made the choice to say install this app. Not that I recall an app ever asking me that. Do you want to install for just me? Well, so I, I, I don't have an example of an app that's installed in my user applications folder, and I, I, I got to seek that out. Do you? Uh, no. Well, I mean, okay. yes, I have installed apps there because I know I want them oh. in this user account only okay. and I don't okay. want them elsewhere. Oh, you know, great. And, okay. okay. And it may be, you know, something on the house iMac. I don't want the kids mucking with it or whatever. So I'll install it in my applications folder and then I know I'm good to go. But that's done as a custom option on the install. Now, the other part that's very important, and this is really what I was talking about when when we discussed this the last time, is preference panes. Uh, there are many preference panes uh, out there available, third party. And when you install those, those are the ones that ask you more often than not, do you want me to install this for the current user only or for all users? And really what that question is, is do you want me to install this in your user folder or in the slash library slash preference panes folder? If you install it for all users, then it will impact potentially all users. And it's it's in that situation that you can impact your otherwise pristine test user account because you're going a step above it. You're actually not impacting the account, but you're putting a preference pane on a system wide level that's going to affect everybody. And for that reason, I install preference panes only in my user account. And and here's the thing, you know, on this iMac that that uh, that we use for the podcast here, this is also the one that uh, Lisa works a couple of days a week for me and, and she does uh, accounting. Uh, and so she does that here on this computer. I like to run, as you well know, iStat menus previously menu meters. But I would and I like it to be running on her account, too, because she kind of likes it and she can see if she's got a runaway process or whatever. Uh, but I don't set it up on a system wide level. I set it up in each of our user accounts. And that way, the third account on this machine, the test machine remains pristine. So it's pref pains where you really need to make sure you're going for right. specifically each user, and I, and I highly recommend that. I can't can't stress it enough. Well, I think in the past we've we've recommended unless you have a really 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 good reason to install something that all users are forced to deal with. Yep. Do it on the user level, and it'll avoid headaches in the future. Yeah. Because if you don't install it for everybody, then you've you've saved yourself some time when you have to start debugging or diagnosing. Yep. Uh, headaches. So okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, so two things about uh, some some Mac Geek Gab comments, uh, and I'll pull up Alan's first, John. Uh, and Alan writes, in fact, he even posted on the TMO forums, and we'll put a link into this because he posted a little poll. And Alan's poll says, all right, I've been a longtime fan of the Mac Geek Gab, and I am surprised that there has not been any gear for sale, mugs, polo shirts, mouse pads, etc. Perhaps it's because no one's thought of it yet. I'm not sure. In any case, I'm interested in at least getting a Mac Geek Gab mug with the podcast logo on one side with the phone number underneath, of course, and the TMO logo on the opposite side. And his question is, how many of you, and so we'll pose this to you, how many of you would be interested in this sort of thing? We actually have it on deck to uh, head down this path later in 2010. So it'd be curious to hear, uh, you know, how many of you would be interested in that. So we'll post a link I, to that. 
I'd, I'd be interested. Yeah, I want one. I want, I want a mug like that. That's a great idea. Thanks, Al. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is our premium show. Uh, it's been going well. We're actually about to record our an, another premium episode after we finish up this one here today. And we've had, uh, by and large, response has been overwhelmingly positive. And thank you so much to all of you who have subscribed. Uh, there has been a common theme in some of the negative replies. And, and that common theme has been, you know, gosh, uh, I've been listening for a long time. Now I feel like I'm going to miss out on the best stuff because, uh, you know, that's being reserved for the premium that nothing could be further from the truth. The best stuff, the best stuff. There is no, I don't think it's the best stuff. Well, we call it premium. So you may be led to believe that it's, it's somehow better content. It's, it's the same. We, 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 every time we sit down to podcast, we strive to provide you with the best. And I, I don't say that as a line. It's true. It, you know, we really do. We, we put our heart and soul into not just doing the show, but preparing it and making sure that we've got something cohesive together to offer. And I, and I think that comes through, John, I have to assume that comes through. Uh, the premium show is no different, uh, but it's, it, it, it's just that it's no different. It's a hundred percent. Every time we do this, the, 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 and maybe premium's the wrong word. Maybe it should be, you know, Mackeekab more. Because really what it is, is it comes from there there was two things happening. People were asking for more. People were also asking for ways to support the show. You know, we we provide a lot of answers to a lot of people, and let's face it, you know, these answers come cheap. Uh, you know, and and some people felt, wow, you know, you guys have really helped me out. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to Pay you back directly. Yes, I've, I, you know, I support the sponsors that uh, that that apply to me. I've I've bought the products. I've told them about this, and you know it's great. But I want to do even more, and and so that's kind of it was the marriage of those two that brought us to providing the premium option, which really is just more. It's at least mm-hmm. two more episodes a month than you're going to get uh, with this. So with just the uh, just the sponsored version, but the content isn't exactly the same because it's we're not doing the same show every week, just like the content from last show to this right. show isn't the same. Right. So right. Uh, you will miss out. There are some things that we're going to discuss in the premium show that you're going to miss out on, just like you would miss out if you skipped an episode of the sponsored feed at any point in the past. I mean, it, you know, we, right. we don't rehash over and over again. And, and in fact, you know, the one thing that, uh, that, that uh, did, you know, a lot of people talk to us about was, you know, as it turned out in the timing and the schedule and all that, the premium, one of the premium shows in December was the one where we talked about my uh, my experience hackintoshing my uh, my daughter's machine. It wasn't intentional to throw that as a premium. It was timing wise like that. I just did this. Here's the show. Off we go. I'm sure the same sort of thing is going to happen at Macworld Expo just because of the timing of things. At least one of those shows we do there is likely to fall into the premium feed. It's just the way. Now, it what is. I will say, Dave, though, is that if you do want to get a taste, so we. Uh, uh, when you and I, mostly you, reply to the emails, um, you know, of questions, we do not, you know, we, we, we will not, uh, I think for the most part, I, I don't think we look at whether it's a premium or a regular subscriber. We will do our best to give you a quick, uh, you know, pointer in the right direction or an answer if we have it. Absolutely. Also, the show notes are always available to everybody. So if you want to get a flavor for what's in the premium episode, like right. for the uh, for for you know your Hackintosh thing, we we listed a pretty you know comprehensive list of pointers to resources where you could do the whole thing yourself. You could probably do it quicker, or you could absolutely do it quicker if you 
you know, had a premium subscription, sure. you can still look at the show notes and get a taste for what we were talking about. And if you look at that and you see that, you know, the premium notes, uh, you know, follow a thread that you're interested in, then, you know, I think that's a, maybe a nudge for you to, to sign up, but, but you yeah. can still, yeah, you can still see the notes. So that, that I think yeah. is, a uh, is as one, we're going to keep doing as one premium subscriber uh, put it, they said, look, you know, here's the thing over the course of six months, because of that's course, that's of course what the subscription is. It's a six month thing. It's 25 bucks. Uh, he said over the course of the six months of, of any six months listening to the show, I've probably had, you know, 10 aha moments while listening to the show where we've either intentionally or most often unintentionally enlightened you as the listener to something that specifically applies to you. Where you say, oh, wow, that's great. Uh, and his point was, you know, one of those moments is worth 25 bucks to me. He says, so if I get 10 in six months, now I'm paying you 25 bucks and now I get nine free. And I've supported you and I appreciate doing that. And so that, you know, that, that to me is exactly what we were going for with the premium option, but yeah. it's not mandatory. We're still doing, you know, the, the sponsored ones, we're, we're going to continue doing these that there's no, no plans to stop. It's not even in the, in the deck of cards. So, uh, so there we have it. I, I don't want to spend too much more time. We've already talked about it a lot, but, uh, yep. Yeah. And actually we got to, you know, yep. Bring in the band. That's right. Chili. Yeah. We're going through the tundra, right? You were doing yes. that earlier today. I was out on the snowshoes um, today. Yep. Dave, we got to talk about how to get in touch with us. And I think the first way to get in touch with us that we're talking about, there are some, I think, logistical issues with the naming of the audio files, but it's still the best. You know, send us an audio file on your uh, either on your Mac or your iPhone or your iPod Touch. Um, and you can send it to um, it's this email address that I, I can't quite recall, Dave. What? Oh. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Oh, now, now you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I did. Yeah. And you I can't stop me. I'm going to say it again. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Excellent. But you know, if I don't want to do email, if I'm old school and I want to pick up this uh, telephone thing and dial, well, not dial. 206-666-GEEK. Um, That's right. Which is, John? 4335. Um, you can also visit us on the web at MacGeekGab.com. Skype us to uh, Mac Geek Gab, and that'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and iTunes comments. We always dig the iTunes comments, uh, positive or negative or somewhere in between. That's right. I like the positive myself, but hey, we, <laughs> we, we, we certainly welcome constructive criticism. You got it. Um, Macworld Expo is February 11th uh, to 13th, less than a month away. Cirque de Mac, number seven. What's it's all, that? It's all booked. What is it's Cirque ready de to Mac? go. Cirque de Mac is the party we throw every year. The oh. Macworld All-Star Band plays drinks all that you're good you're stuff. in that band right i heard that i am if you that's bang right. the drum and, and sometimes dave actually belts out a couple that's right with those uh golden chords <laughs> there he has uh so that's on the 11th can't promise tickets for everyone that asks but uh but you know what we're gonna put a link in the show notes just for you <laughs> that you can go and request tickets uh so go ahead john we'll, we'll put that in the show notes here and uh john i'll pass yep. that off to you it's a it's a special link and uh and you can request tickets, and we'll do what we can to get them to you. you can uh, see, if you see us, any of the Mac Geek Ab, uh, staff, though, it's going to be tight because I think well, so. The, the show, I think, starts Thursday, right? Or at least the it exhibits. starts. Yeah, the, the exhibits. And the podcast stage, of which I think we are first. Some odd twist of fate, we are the first people. I think, is it 12.30? 12.30 on Thursday. That's right. The party's at 8 p.m. that night, so you can come 12.30 on Thursday to the main stage of the exhibit hall, open to everyone. Uh, John and I are going right. to record live 
for an hour uh, or thereabouts. Uh, mm-hmm. It will be a Mac Geek Cab that's released to the feed here. So, you know, good to go. And then you can find us there if we have extra tickets. Uh, ask us. We will give them to you. Then, mm-hmm. so that goes 1230 to 1.30. Then at 3 o'clock, uh, for those of you conference attendees, I'm over in the West Hall doing my Running Your Mac Lean, Clean, and Mean, which I just revamped last week. So this is brand spanking new with tangents is what I've added wow. to it. Yeah. And for, for, for Snow Leopard, I guess now, right? Yeah, there's, there's some Snow Leopard stuff, but it's, it, you know, a lot of it is, 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 is relevant to Leopard users and even, even Tiger users before them. So, uh, yep. It's so going to be awesome. I'm, I'm getting a good feel about this show. I mean, I see, you know, our pal Paul Kent. They're still signing up exhibitors. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, Apple's not going to be there, but eh, who cares? That's okay. Yeah. I actually, I want to, I want to mention the people that are making Cirque du Max 7 possible this year, because it's very cool Ooh, that we've got yes. all these people uh, sponsoring the party. They are Circus Ponies, Ecelerate, Microsoft, Smile on My Mac, Verbatim, and Project Wizards. Uh, in no particular order, those are the that's the order I could think of them in. Uh, so they 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 are all equal sponsors, and man, I I, I am so thankful that they uh, came together and allowed uh, allowed for this party to come together because uh, without them, I can guarantee you it wouldn't happen. Uh, yep, and bring your camera, bring your video camera. There, there's no yeah. doubt going to be shenanigans that you want to get. Of course. Uh, recorded for posterity. Of course. iPhonealley.com is Michael Johnston's home. He converts this show to AAC for you and for us. Cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, provides all the bandwidth to get the show to you. And the podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, and Notebook from Circus Ponies all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And with that, John, we're out of here. Well, not really. Well, yeah, we are. We're out of here for this one. But tomorrow, another show will be up that we're about to record now. Oh, yeah. Oh, and an interview with Paul Kent is coming later this week, our, our annual It's Macworld time. So. so I guess if you have questions for Paul, let us know. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Don't get caught. Made up.